Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to the Crossover NBA Podcast. On this episode, we'll get into Magic Johnson just stomping all over the Lakers organization. The Warriors, their surprising sweep of the Trailblazers. The Timberwolves' decision to name Ryan Saunders their head coach and maybe... Maybe on my end, some Game of Thrones talk. Who knows? As always, best way to support this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts where you can post a rating or leave a comment. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. Also, if you like boxing, subscribe to the SI Boxing Podcast hosted by myself. That podcast also comes out every week. Also, In the Paint on SI TV is back this week. We'll have a new episode on Thursday. The show's been humming along. Terrific guests, terrific panel discussions. On this week's show, we'll talk some NBA draft with SI's NBA draft analyst, Jeremy Wu. To watch the show, subscribe to SITV at SI.TV. All right, joining me now, recording from Toronto, hours before Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Kind enough not to come downstairs in a bathrobe from the LA Times National NBA writer Dan Wakey. What's up, man? When you say that, I mean, it makes it the implication is I do have clothes on. You do? Like, like the implication is that I, I came with no robe. Wasn't this isn't that kind of a podcast? You know, I gotta say that really wasn't an implication. I <laughs> um, hey, let me ask you something, Chris. Um, you haven't been in, in Toronto as long as I have. You got here, um, I think a night, a, a day right after. before Game Three. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was on the phone today. I noticed that I had a just a tinge of a Canadian accent today. Hey, eh? I was like, pardon, pardon. 
Is Pardon I, big up here? Yes, Pardon. I'm losing my Canadian audience right now. Yeah, like just we're going with every stereotype of no, Canada. Pardon's like a definitely a thing, and they say like Pardon, like there's like a a, a very sing song equality to it. it. Very polite people. They are very here. polite people. And by the way, great city. Great it, city. Totally different experience when you can walk outside without freezing your backside off. I, I was joking today with a Raptors uh, PR person that uh, I can just imagine. Cole, uh, Masai Ujiri just kidnapping Kawhi Leonard and driving him around the city today with the sun out and being like, look, look how nice it is here <laughs> when it's not snowing and terribly cold. You know, we'll get into Kawhi in a little bit, but, you know, it, 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 it strikes me that he, he's just the type of guy that because he's so basketball-centric that he might not mind the cold as much as, as others. I know he doesn't like it, but, you know, for a guy like him that just goes to the gym, to the gym, doesn't really do much else... Uh, I wonder how much the the climate impacts a future decision. I can tell you that there were some people in and around the Raptors who were worried about how cold their winter was. They had a very cold winter. um, And, like, you know, I think that's what we can dive into quite later. But I think geography is, like, a part of this, right? And and so anything to make it not be so cold and dreary and all that stuff. Like, it had been a, a mild winter. I think they'd feel like a little better. They were talking percentage points here. I mean, right? Like nothing major. Um, I don't think he's going to pick a team based on, you know, average snowfall. Mm. Winter is coming, as they say. (sighs) Did you drive to Buffalo to watch the finale? I did not. Uh, Dan and I discussed that because for people that don't go up to Canada, you can't get HBO Go on your your There's a lot of streaming devices that, like, a lot of your streaming services don't work. Yeah, memo to HBO and to Netflix and to Hulu. Just figure this shit out. Like, you are, a, you should be a, at least a North American country. We can curse on this podcast. Oh yeah, a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we can. I try not to just be too. I like, I like, I like that the inability to watch your Hulu programs has well, got you. I had to watch the the series finale. On a, by iPhone because I mean, your iPhone works. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, you haven't? Then we won't get into it. Well, it's already like been kind of ruined for me, but like, uh, yeah, um, which is fine. Like, it's it's actually it's fine. Um, but it, <laughs> we talked about like you know the nearest point of entry probably in America is like Buffalo, and it'd be like, is it worth it driving an hour and a half to like a Starbucks there? And just posting up and watching uh, the finale. Just park, getting your laptop out. You made fun of me because I said, uh, let's go to a Circuit City or a Best Buy. And you said a Circuit City first, I which know, I found Circuit to be. City. Is that an East Was that more of an East Coast? There were a bunch of Circuit Cities. There were Radio Shacks. I know they've been gone for a long time. Radio Shacks still in business, I think. Uh, but most of them are, you know, yeah. gone. I've yeah. seen some empty Radio Shack stores in the Boston area. Yeah, I like a good Circuit City. All right, well, on that note. All right, on Monday, Magic yeah. Johnson, the uh, ex-Lakers president and the world's worst Twitter pundit, he appeared on uh, ESPN's First Take. In the interview, Johnson identified Lakers GM Rob Palenka as the backstabber he referenced when he abruptly backstabber. resigned yeah. and said part of the reason he quit was because Lakers Chief Operating Officer Tim Harris was trying to get too involved with basketball decisions. He cited Joey and Jesse Buss, how many buses are there, as power-hungry and said the Lakers front office had too many people at the table. Hours later, Rob Palenka, in a perfectly timed press conference, who has said who has had his reputation just smashed over the last month, he faced reporters at Frank Vogel's introductory presser. Palenka took the high road there, saying he was disheartened by Magic's comments and looks forward to talking to him about them. Dan, you cover the NBA out in L.A. What do you make of the latest round of As the Lakers Turn? I feel like... What's fun about this was that it was sort of like everything that we kind of knew and have talked about and, 
and you know inferred and and all of that stuff for the last like four months like all of a sudden just like were a car crash like publicly like where like the truth was splattered all over the sidewalks right and and, and that's the thing and look there's truth here and then there's like the tr- lakers truth right or magic's truth like magic going on tv and playing all innocent right like you know about what i found to be kind of comical was one of the things he said right was that he thought rob was backstabbing because he was telling people that he's never in the office right and he's not around enough he's not working hard enough and then he proceeds to say shaggy p instead of swaggy p like you know what i mean and and like miss like miss saying names of people that were on rosters and stuff like this and part of transactions he made um it's all a little rich like there, there's nobody here that should be blameless. Um, LeBron James on up, you know, like everybody has a piece of this and it's been interesting as a word. I mean, it's been great for content to, to see kind of the finger pointing start and, and all of that stuff. I mean, but for the Lakers as a whole, I mean, this is just an unmitigated disaster, right? I, I don't know how you go into free agency with all of this mess and, go to a player and say, Hey, come here for four years. Like we're going to take care of you. Like, cause stability is out the window that there's none. Like they, they, they don't even have like the shadowy appearance of it. Like that they maybe even had last summer, sort of the house of cards element. Like the, this is not that this is a total mess. The timing, I mean, couldn't have been worse because at the combine, it, it seemed like the Lakers were starting to come out from under the ashes of what happened when magic resigned. I yeah. Mean, I'm. Uh, I've said on the record. I'm a big fan of Frank Vogel. I think Frank Vogel is more the coach that you saw in Indiana, where he did an excellent job, than the guy you saw for two years in in uh, Orlando. The Magic hired him. They had a terrible team. They cleaned out the front office after year one. They brought in a new front office that wanted no part of Frank Vogel, and that was pretty clear uh, from the outset. So I, I think Frank Vogel is a better hire than people give them credit for. Then they get the fourth pick in the draft. They go to the combine. Things have kind of calmed down a little bit. You There's still some s- good news. There's, There's some, some com- good news. You yeah. still see Kurt Rambis walking around and whatever that's all about. Uh, and then this happens, and we're right back to square one with a stark reminder uh, a month and a half away from the start of free agency that this team is in disrepair. And I just wonder what Magic's motivations are to do something like this because – if Rob Palenka is to be believed, like they had been talking the last couple of days, this stuff <laughs> doesn't come up. Didn't come up. You know, Jeannie Buss has clearly been talking to Magic Johnson. This why would yeah. Why would he go on television for like an hour and just take a flamethrower to the organization like that? Okay, um, let's can we psychoanalyze. Yes, uh, he likes attention. All right, like I would say that's part of this. Right, is that part of the reason he stepped down? Right. Or according to him, in addition to all of this other stuff, part of the reason was that he wasn't able to kind of be himself. And you could see that in that the interview. There's the clip where I think uh, Molly Karam says something like, oh, you can say their names now. And he like laughs hilariously and gives out fist bumps. That was a weird, weird moment. And he starts saying names of other players. Right. Like, oh, finally, I'm unburdened and I can go back to being magic. Um, I think that's part of it. I think um, he doesn't like blame. Right. And um He's been getting blamed, you know, for how he quit, for the departure of LeBron going on the shop, saying, you know, I wish he'd even called me to tell me, kiss my ass. Like, you have all of this stuff, right? So there's been a finger pointing in Magic's direction that this is his fault, right? And this, it felt like to him, this was sort of the way to his rebuttal, you know? And it's wild. And it's not how I think a normal person would act, 
But I don't think Magic Johnson is a normal person. I mean, I think he is somebody who succeeds on really grand levels. And when he fails, he does it on really grand levels. Um, You know, I mean, the Magic Hour, his head coaching stints, you know what I mean? His tenure as president of basketball operations, like all big, massive failures. His successes, his businesses, his, you know, his career as a player, um, his career as a philanthropist and, and you know doing things as an entrepreneur in the black community all tremendous successes not a lot of middle ground and and so to me the fact that this ended so poorly to me sort of fits in character for him that's my cycle my magic johnson cycle no I, that, that makes sense what what struck me coming out of that interview the strongest was that magic said he told genie bus that he was only going to be basically a part-time president that he, he was, makes too much money to to do otherwise. Beyond that, yeah. like, but but like, okay, beyond the, the money, like, you can't have that job where you demand final say in basketball decisions and be part time. This has become as close to a year round job as you can find. You look at Portland and how they're built around two mid-major stars. You've got to be out there at MAC games look, identifying those guys. I mean, let's hear. Let's go even beyond that. Look at look at who the last four teams are playing. Look at the key pieces involved. That's what in I was going right? to get to. I'm saying Steph like, Curry, right? Steph Curry and Clay, but Giannis, who was a six-nine string bean playing mm-hmm. in the second-tier league in Greece when when he was coming up. San Diego State. And Kawhi Leonard, who had a broken jump shot, who was mm-hmm. a power forward with a broken jump shot when he came into the pros. You have got to spend the time needed to identify these guys and figure out who is going to be that guy. It's not as easy. And look, he you could argue he screwed up number two. Like, he probably should have taken Jason Tatum with that second overall or pick. Or De'Aaron Fox. Or De'Aaron Fox with that pick. So it's just, it takes an incredible amount of time. That's why, and you and I know this, the people that are successful in this league the, the Sam Prestes, the R.C. Bufords, the Masai Ujiris, these guys, they live this stuff. Let, let, let me throw this at you and see what you think, too. I mean, when he – it's always struck me. I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that he is not a, has a, doesn't have a brilliant basketball mind. He's clearly a brilliant basketball player. Now, these are different things, but – Totally different. Yeah. yeah. But um, when he – like, and I don't know if it's fair to paint him with this brush as, like an, as an analyst or even, like, on Twitter, right – like his t- like everything he says is so surface right and it seems all to he be is like the world's worst twitter pundit he, he is, is. is like I, I love his twitter by the way <laughs> but he doesn't say anything it's like he, like he quit the job no, in parts like, where he could say steph curry had 37 points last it's night it's like he um gets paid a hundred dollars every time he uses an exclamation point like he's sponsored by big punctuation and you, you know what i mean that's what i that's and, and it was funny because he sends this tweet out after first take, and I tweeted it on top of this. It's like, this was the tweet that should have had all the exclamation points in it. You just went on first take and, you know, lit fire to this organization that supposedly you love, right? Which is like, this is some tough love here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did it well with commas and periods, and I was so upset. Um, but I think it's like, you know, the way he talks about basketball, and I don't know if this is happening privately, but at least publicly, is like very unsophisticated. It's very paint by numbers. Sort of like there's like a faux sort of intellectualism to it where it's like, we're going to get a star. Okay. Well, what does that mean? And how do you do it? Right. Kyrie or Kawhi, like, uh, fine. Okay. Like, how? What? Like, it, it, you have, there's nuance in this. Mm. And when he would speak about basketball, it was not a lot of nuance. Mm. And, and I wonder again if this is sort of, you know, what a part time observer kind of sounds like. It's like it, what you can tell. 
and I'm I don't want to name names necessarily, mostly because I can't think. But like the guys who do TV and the analysts who like the national analysts who like don't aren't as prepared and locked in as others. Mm-hmm. They say some wild shit, you know, that isn't grounded in reality. And I and I think Magic sometimes like when he talks about basketball, it just feels sort of like the Wikipedia, uh, you, you know, uh, of the current pulse of the Lakers. Like it's very very surface. I think we just found an episode title there, the Wikipedia of basketball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just sort of, there's an element of that, I think. No, and- look, yeah, you can't, like, if you are just looking at his public uh, comments and not what happens behind the scenes. And who knows? And, and, and look, the, it's like, we don't know. We don't know, but it seems like he wants to be, you know, unshackled as a Twitter pundit so he can say whatever he wants. He doesn't say anything. When he was doing the broadcast on ESPN, I re- distinctly remember not learning anything from like the strongest take he ever had was going after like a 21 year old Russell Westbrook after a tough, uh, I think it was a finals game saying it was one of the worst finals performances ever. Yeah. And even that didn't make like, that was a little bit too aggressive for me because the kid, he's like a kid back then in 2012 playing in the finals. He just, I don't think that, look, you said at the top of all this, that being a, being a great basketball player and having a great mind for playing basketball, it doesn't correlate always and often to, to be a almost, great I would, I would say almost more often than not. It, more it, often it, than it, not. It, How it many you can work. count on a couple of hands the number of great ex-players? Oh, is this is this the, the Boston need to make me say Larry Bird was a good executive? I was going to say Danny Ainge was a good executive. Okay, like, there, I mean, there's two, yeah. Uh, Pat Riley is a great executive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go... I mean, there's just... But uh, Joe Dumars, I thought, did an excellent job early on in Detroit and building that team up. So... I mean, there there are a lot of guys. The, the, that, yeah, the list of Hall of Fame players who've been able to translate, been able to move into coaching and or front office work. It, it's just a different lane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's um, there's like the old Mitch Hedberg joke about how it's like they, you know, a, a, that um, he's a comic, but they don't want him to. They want him to do things that aren't quite comedy that are related to comedy. Like, oh, you're a comic, so can you write? But you would never go to a, a cook and say, oh, great, can you? You're a cook, but can you farm? And like that's sort of like what this is is like Magic. You're a great player, but can you farm? Mm-hmm. And you know, I I think guys want to try it because it, it seems fun. And you know, at least for Magic, there was I think a little bit of a vanity project in this for him. It was a chance. I mean, he certainly didn't need the work, but it was a chance to do something and to save the Lakers again, like he did you know forty years ago. Um, and yeah, it, it I think it, he was exposed. And he- I and I and I think even bigger sort of the organization and genie bus were exposed in all of this. Like it, it, it's amazing. The Lakers still have like this, like incredibly um, tempting package to offer players, right? Like they're, they're, they're probably worse off than they were last summer in terms of stability. But like these things were still happening last summer, right? Like this was still, you know, people were talking about our magic and Robert on the same page. Genie bus was still finding her way as an owner. All of this stuff was still happening last summer and all they did for being a, a bad team again was sign LeBron James in free agency. They didn't do it because they had some great multimedia pitch. They didn't do it because they, they had lined up their cap, you know, situation or um, they have great young assets. Like it wasn't any of that. It was because they were the Lakers there in Los Angeles. Like that's why they got him. And, and it's even if I, I was talking with a, a different general manager uh, yesterday about this, I said, imagine if Steve Ballmer owned the clip uh, owned the Lakers. Just like an, an owner who's a net positive, it seems like, um, with what they have to offer, they'd be who wouldn't they be front runners for? And it doesn't feel like that right now. I mean, this feels like, you know, I, I thought Ray Rattle wrote something for Deadspin that was 
terrific about this. Um, and you refer to the Lakers as sort of like royalty, right? And like this, they're run by royals. They're, there's like, you know, a lineage of succession and all this stuff. And they've got, you know, princesses and princes that based off of Jerry Buss, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, but like royalty is fading, you know, around like it, that's an old antiquated way. And like this, I think is, has been exposed is like the Laker way of doing things, the family way, you know, it's not that sustainable. The further you get from Jerry Buss, um, the further away you get from something that worked. And there's, you know, bloodlines don't necessarily mean that you're going to be as good as something as, as, you know, the patriarch. So put yourself now in Jeannie Buss's shoes. How does she handle Magic Johnson moving forward? Because he has abruptly resigned as team president a month ago, and now he has just eviscerated the organization. Backbone. He can't be around. Because, uh, but how do you walk that path? Because you can't excise him from everything. He's still Laker great, Magic Johnson, whatever. It's fine. He's symbolic at this point. Like, he can't be an advisor. He can't be, like, like you can't be, and this is going to be impossible for her because you don't spend three years talking about somebody as your brother. You know what I mean? When, you know, when things went bad with Phil, what did she do? She called Magic and cried. You know, like, the, the stories are all, like, you, the, the stories are all there. Um but I mean, to me, like, I think this is a situation that like, as they try to start to rebuild their sort of franchise's culture, there has to be consequences for that. Like you can't go on TV, say those things, air all our dirty laundry, and then just come, come back and be urban and be the big smile and, and stuff like that. Like, look, come to a couple games, smile and wave. That's fine. You know what I mean? But as far as like being in the circle or having, having any voice whatsoever, like, sorry, you're, you're done. Is she capable of doing that? No. She's too nice. Right? Like, I mean, ultimately, like, that's what a lot of this falls on is that there's a vulnerability and, like, that she wants to listen to people that she likes and trusts, and that's a big circle. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is that it's a big circle. I mean, this coaching search, like, you know, Kurt Rambis is involved. Phil Jackson's involved. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, the circle, it seemed like by the week, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because nobody would step to the plate and say, this is the decision that needs to be made. And that's, like, ideally that should be her job. I mean, first of all, it was Magic's job, and, and apparently he wasn't allowed to have it. Which I think is part of, partly on him. He's not selling his visions enough then. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's part of being a decision maker is getting everybody else on board. Um, Do you or, think that he didn't ha- Like, when I was listening, the last couple of months listening to him publicly... I don't get necessarily get the sense that he didn't have the authority to do it. It just it became there was a lot of pushback and he just gave up. And he didn't want to be the bad guy. Mm. I think I think was a big part of it too. Is that he didn't because he could have put his foot down. He could have said Luke's out, Rob's out. That's it. This is. I I think he could have done that if he wanted to. I don't think he could have done both. No, I think he could have done one. I think he could have got Luke. Luke. I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he could have gotten. I don't think he could have moved on Rob. Mm. But who knows? I mean, you know, I I do think that there was. It was always sort of an unnatural pairing, right? It's like when, um, I mean, a great example, right, is like the Lakers wanted to find like a strong assistant coach bench presence for whoever. This was a gripe with Luke Walton, right, is that he wasn't paired with like a veteran and a, enough of a coach to kind of have sort of the yin and the yang, right? Like you want to have both. This was like a pairing of two people who had never been in NBA front offices before, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like instead of <laughs> instead of having like the wise old sage who's done it, you know, with you know, if you wanted to move in that direction with Rob Pelinka, I mean, this is what the Warriors did, right? Is Bob Myers is we're going to transition Bob Myers in this job, but we're going to have Jerry West around too. Like the the Lakers didn't do; they did the opposite, right? Like, and I and I think the biggest thing that they have to do again, if I'm in Genie's shoes here, is like you have to like lose the yearbook. 
Like, throw it away. It doesn't matter. And I, I like this about Frank Vogel. Like, he wasn't a Laker. You know what I mean? He didn't play here. He didn't he didn't coach there. He wasn't an assistant to Phil. He doesn't run the triangle. Um, he didn't work for Kobe Bryant. You know, he didn't drive Lamar Odom. Around. Like, they're, they're, he, he is an outsider. And they need to start hiring more and more outsiders and come at things with fresher eyes than just sort of, well, this is the way it worked in 1987. Let's try to recapture that. Because where, when and anywhere does that work? Let's move backwards 30 years and like let's do that again. Like That doesn't work. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So they're going to this this is the Lakers organization right now, going yep. into the season. Like this is the group. You've got Palenka, you've got the Rambuses, you've got Jeannie, you've got Jeannie's brothers. What is your understanding of just how powerful Rob Palenka is as the general manager right now? I mean, he's the second most important person in terms of like, well, that's not true. Um, I mean, like, I think the power structure to me is still Jeannie Buss and Linda Rambis are like one. In, okay, one just for two. people that don't know, explain Linda Rambis to everybody. Because Linda, yeah. most people just, they know who Kurt Rambis is, and it's not a good you know, public perception because yeah. of his failures uh, post-playing career. But for a lot of people, Linda Rambis just emerged as a player on a major NBA team. Yeah, and she's been, I mean, this isn't new, right? Like, she's been a... Consig- 40 years. Like yeah, she's, she's been, been a consigliere for a long time, like, you know, a, a genie's best friend, you know? And and I think, you know, part of it is, I do think there's, like, a little, like, tinge of sexism when people, like, kind of scoff at the idea that, like, you know, how dare she talk to confide in Linda Rambis and stuff like this. I mean, people, owners and stuff like this, you people have friends that they lean on, right? Like this is, everybody has advisors, right? Like to a certain extent. And, and Jeannie, it trusts Linda as, it's essentially her top advisor. And she's been around and worked in the organization for a lot of years. Um, worked with her on the business side, married Kurt Rambis, has been around basketball for, you know, forever. Um, you know, so they're, they're the most important people in the organization. Um, earlier this year, the Times, Nathan Fenno did a great job. He got some emails. I don't know if you remember from Irving Azoff. This is the famous Steve Ballmer calling him balls in these emails. and um, Over the forum stuff. Yeah, in yeah. the forum, right? And, you know, the, the three people on these emails were Irving Azoff, Jeannie Buss, and Linda Rambis. And at the time, a former Laker employee kind of was like, congratulations, you just stumbled on the hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the, you're right. Like, it's like Tim Harris wasn't on these emails. You know, it was Jeannie and Linda. And and so that's like kind of one one a right? Um, but I think on the basketball side, I mean, like, like Rob has the hammer. Like, this is, this is his show. And, you know, they're, on one hand, it, it, you know, I, I don't think it's a terrific idea. He doesn't have a good reputation around the league. Like, there are certainly trust issues with him and i think he's still learning how to do that job um i'm shaky on all that though too like you know when magic says he like gets calls about rob palenka like i'm sure there's a lot of people rob's pissed off over the years but agents do that like mm-hmm. and if you're hearing from like if some of the people calling magic are other agents those that's well, not what you No, exactly i mean i think i think right and there's an element of like like everybody kind of massages the truth, right, in this stuff, but like you still have to have like a core credibility. And I think his core credibility is has been questioned by other executives. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's you know, that's just true. Mm-hmm. And um so I, I think that'll be something overcome. But at least like he's gonna get a, a shot now. Though the like you'll at least sort of I think see what his vision is. Because, I mean, like, I do think he's a smart person. I think, you know, he's been around basketball a long time and a lot of different capabilities. He was a good player. Um, obviously, he was a successful agent. Um, I, I, I'm curious to see sort of what his vision looks like f- for a basketball team. Now, 
where it gets tricky is that this just doesn't feel like the time in the organization for experimentation. Um, they have LeBron James and that clock is ticking. And whether we saw the end of his prime, if the, the groin injury was a, a sign of what it's going to look like here now for the next three years where the hamstrings are going to be tighter and the calf muscles are going to strain easier. And you're, you know, the, the 70 game seasons are not going to be, a, it's going to be more in the 60 range. If that's just what it's going to be. Um, there's not a lot of time to, to mess around. And, and I think that's why organizationally they're in such a tough spot is because on one hand, you know, in Frank, I think they have a coach that's like capable of winning now and, and knows what it takes to win. Um, and you've got a player and LeBron James that certainly wants to win now. And, and they're going to attack this off season in a way where they want to win now. Um, the core and bulk of their team is still like rounding into the players that they're going to become and still developing. And I think those are very distinct masters. And when we talk about the teams that are left playing, generally speaking, they're teams that all have players that are sort of on the same trajectory arc, right? Like you look at this Raptors team, um, there's a couple young players, but by and large, it's a veteran team, right? And guys that have all kind of done it and been in the league for a long time, that's the bulk of their core. Um, the Blazers, I know this was a big thing for Neil O'Shea, was let's find pieces around Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum that can grow with them. And sure enough, like Alfred Camino was huge in the first round. Mo Harkless did some really big th- good things in the second round. And here, you know, they, they make a conference final. You know, the Warriors, obviously, trajectory is very synced in. The Lakers, what is the, like, they're trying to do both. And I, and I don't know that you can. And I think that'll be, that's Frank's biggest challenge is to somehow coach a team where um, you've got, well, now with the fourth pick too, unless they trade it, which we should get to that too. But mm-hmm. um, you've got four really, you've got, and I agree, you've got an exciting core. That's an exciting young core, the type of core that might be really good in two or three years. And in two or three years, LeBron James is going to be free agent again. And, and it, it just creates almost two distinct situations yep. out there. Because if LeBron is not part of the equation, you take that fourth pick and you draft the best guy on the board. And look, I, I understand that everybody's bullish on the top three picks, but people should really stop saying it's a three-person draft. or that, that is one of the dumber takes. Well, and there's always... Well, but mostly because, Dan, yeah. like, the, like all the things we just mentioned, like Kawhi was what, like 15 or something like that yeah. in the draft? Paul George was 10 his year? Draymond Green, second round. Like, there's always talent there. Yeah, yeah good scouting and, and, you know what I mean, and, and some good luck, I think. The Lakers have had some decent, like, Kuzma, Josh Hart. Like, you they've, no, like give credit where it's due. Look, like, they they, that's something guys. they've done really well is they've drafted and evaluated, you know, by and large pretty well. Um, Lonzo is what it is, and I think it's it's unfair to, like, paint that as a total miss yet just because he hasn't logged enough court time. Yeah. But if he's going to be a player who's continuously injured – you know, that's part of this too, right? Is finding people that are durable and can stay on the floor. I mean, availability is um, a talent. He was tough because, and you know this, like De'Aaron Fox busted him up in the tournament yep. that year. Like that was one, like if you're looking for like one-on-one comparison. Like in Summer League too, again, didn't he? Just, like, or he might even sat out that game in Summer League and it was, yeah. I think he sat out. I wanted to say he sat, he out, sat out that game. <laughs> that one. So what do you think the mindset is uh, over the next uh, month or so as we get to the draft? Do you think that, that fourth pick I would imagine is in play? Is it Anthony Davis 2.0 or where do they go from? Yeah, there? I mean, I think that's the, that's where it starts, right? And is going to be trying to reignite those trade talks, which... That's going to be an uphill battle. Um, 
I don't know if it's like over my dead body uphill, but I I think it's a really uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if that door gets shut, I think you call Washington. That's what I would do. I would call Washington and I would say, we'll uh, we'll give you some version of that same offer for Bradley Beal. I mean, to me, they need to they need to correct their timeline issues and um and I don't th- and I don't believe they're going to do it by trading LeBron James. Like I just don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um I would be very 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 surprised. And so that means finding a package where you can take two or three of those young players and turn them into an established all-star somewhere along the way and then you go at it in free agency and you you know they'll shop at the top, but I think you know probably more realisticy. Realisticy? Yeah, Re- sure. Yeah, why not? Um, I think uh, that's another Canadian colloquialism here, because <laughs> they don't say L's in Canada. It's, yeah. a, it's a weird thing. Um, I is that they'll look at uh, that second tier, the Jimmy Butlers. You know, I think um, maybe I, I know I, I'm a I'm a Vucevic fan. I think he's someone who would look good. Uh, playing alongside LeBron James, um, spacing the floor as a center, scoring a little bit in the post to look at DeMarcus Cousins, I'm sure. Um, that Those kinds of players, I think um, they'll have to they'll have to shop there. I mean, I don't think they can afford to be like, well, we missed out on the top guys. We'll, we'll try again next summer. I, I, I don't – this doesn't feel like a, they can afford to wait again. Bradley Beal is a good call because it, it makes sense for both sides. And if Tim Conley had taken that Wizards job – I would have been sure that Bradley Beal would have been available because I think Tim would have torn that whole thing down. I would imagine, though, that whether it's Tommy Shepard or Danny Ferry, whoever winds up getting that Wizards job, you've got to take a long look at what you are. And with Bradley Beal eligible for a max or maybe even super max, depending on when All-NBA comes out, you can't wed like half your salaries or half the cap to two guys, yep. one of which may not play next year at all. You, you just can't do it. And if you're the Wizards, talk about resetting timelines, the Wizards have to reset that timeline. Oh. And if you're offering some combination of what you're willing to offer for Anthony Davis, that's something Washington has to strongly consider. Let, let's walk down this road, too. So let's say Washington doesn't want to do Beal with the Lakers. It, like, so, like, where where next? is? Well, do they call on C.J. McCollum? Do they call on Chris Paul? Um, do they call on Mike Conley? Uh, you know, I mean, who, who's there? Um, I think Mike Conley will definitely be there, and at a, at a reasonable price too, because of his contract. And everybody knows that they're going to hand the keys over to John Morant next yeah. year. You know, and I, and I mean, I think you know the Lakers have sort of you know could make some sort of interesting packages for a guy like Mike Conley. You know, like Kyle Kuzma or, or you know Josh Hart or something like that. Mm-hmm. It seems like wouldn't have to go up the store to go and get. Yeah, him. exactly. Like that seems like something that could work. Um, don't know if that really moves you too far closer to where you want to be, though. If you're the Lakers, I mean, I mean look, get I mean, you in the playoffs, probably. And but. well, and that's the thing, right? And I and I do feel that there is like a small sense that at least with LeBron, it's just like get into the tournament, and you know, let's see what happens once you get to the playoffs, right? Um, they were unable to do that this year. Um, I even felt like this year, had they gotten in the playoffs, they would have liked their chances, and it would have been hard to imagine a LeBron James team as an underdog to the Utah Jazz, we'll say, in the first round. Or, you know, to anybody probably outside of, you know, the Warriors, the Rockets. Um, I mean, what would have a, a Denver Lakers series look like if LeBron James is playing? You, you know what I mean? Like, you got to think in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen – it'd be foolish to doubt that you wouldn't get the best out of LeBron in that series. And, and, I, and I, you know, I would have liked their chances against virtually anybody because they have the best player. 
you know um they need to add more veteran talent though and the right veteran talent guys that can shoot the basketball um especially this- with the way frank's gonna want to play like you're gonna need spacing out there when with the way frank is has historically run his offense and the way he suggested they would play at that press conference yeah i mean it, you know but i think too I, I mean the lakers also need to add to their infrastructure um they need people in places like assistant general managers. They need a more robust analytics department. They need, um, you know, better training staffs and, and, and better equipment and all that stuff. I mean, they need remarkable. To, the Lakers don't have that. Like, yeah, no. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things that I think, again, they're, I mean, this gets said a lot and it loses its sort of meaning, but like they're a mom and pop business. You know what I mean? Like they're not a giant conglomerate they're not they don't they don't operate like a fortune you know 100 company they operate like this plucky plucky group that which is crazy because you look at them from the outside and they seem like such a behemoth you know but it's very on the inside it's very and that's why i mean look at the circle of people it's all people that have been involved in the past and and that's that seems to be sort of important to their core and their ethos I, I think it's a detriment on the whole. I, I think they just need to be more advanced in sort of the way they operate as a NBA team in 2019. All they have to do is look right across the hall, how the Clippers are operating. You know, yeah. Trent Redden, Michael Winger, these are future general managers operating as assistant GMs in the organization. They hell, could have been general managers this summer. I know. They, and yeah. hell, they go out and, you know, hired Lee Jenkins to do whatever it is that Lee Jenkins is, is doing for yes. them. Uh, every day uh, out there. Let me ask you one last question about the Laker front office. Uh, I thought it was interesting, and I'm not as 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 versed on the the lower level stuff, but Magic citing uh, Joey and Jesse Buss mm-hmm. as effectively being power hungry and wanting bigger roles in basketball operations. Now, Joey and, and Jesse are the younger brothers in the Buss family. They're involved with the South Bay Lakers. They're involved in the scouting department. Yeah. The way Magic just characterized it was that he had to sit them down and kind of tell them. What's, your lane, yeah. what's what? I mean, this is this to make another Game of Thrones reference. This really is like new Lannisters kind of climbing the ladder there to to seek power. What exactly are their roles in the organization? How how interested were you to hear that? I mean, I think like you know, it, it doesn't surprise me um, to hear that you know. Like I mean, Jesse's been in scouting you know as long as I've been in the NBA. Like he's that's he's a been, teenager. Yeah, think, yeah, I mean that's something he's done for a very long time and you know joey has done a, a pretty successful job i think with the south bay lakers um you know they they've produced some nba players they've unearthed some guys like david nawaba is a, like a really good i think a success story that they found him i think at a tryout um you know and, and they've done a, i think a pretty decent job um they had some late season success this year with some guys um why can't think jamario jones is that was that his name the backup Not sure yeah something like that. i don't know too much basketball this year um but yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you know, no one wants to just do those things and just stop. You know what I mean? Like it's their birthright too, and and I think they're ambitious and they sh- probably should be. You know, and 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 that again, it just sort of speaks to where they're at organizationally. Is you know, you can continue to empower the people that have been there and that are part of the family that know the quote unquote Laker way, or you can look to the outside and you can say, well, we think you guys are qualified, but. You know, we can go hire a Trent Redden or we can go hire Trajan Langdon, we'll say. You know what I mean? And make him our top assistant general manager or head of our pro personnel or whatever it is. Um, And and they just don't seem to be that interested in doing that. Uh, It seems to be more like, you know, it's a family business. You know, Jeannie was the path she was on was uh, was business. 
you know, and, and this was long before she was in charge of the, the entire kind of thing. That was sort of, you know, she was very well regarded for what she did with the business side of the Lakers and, and some of their foundations and all of that stuff. And, and that was, you know, her father assigned that path pretty early in there. And just like, you know, Jesse and Joey's paths were assigned pretty early. And, and it, you know, they, you don't want to say they were bred for this, but it, they're like, this does seem, like I said, like sort of like their birthright. Um, you know, for a long time, it just is the path they've been on. It's, it's a, it's one of those things that if they weren't buses, you know, um, like it would just be normal NBA front office stuff, right? Like people in scouting want to eventually become general managers or coaches or something like that. Like this is, but people in scouting don't, you know, the head of scouting of different teams don't have the ear of the owner in the way that correct they would. i know that i mean that's where i'm that's where it gets like i said a little the fact that they're buses is kind of what changes all this stuff up interesting dynamics somebody should write a book about that i nominate you dan write a awesome. book on the inner workings of the lakers Great. um all right also on monday after the dust settled in la golden state the two-time defending champs playing without kevin durant without demarcus cousins and for game four without andre Wadala, rallied from yet another double-digit deficit to beat portland knocking the upstart blazers Right out of the playoffs. I, t- I gotta tell you, I made the mistake of I think they were down thirteen late in the third. I'm like, all right, well they're just gonna go to game five. Screw it. And I'm you know pop up on social media with two minutes to go. It's like tied to one eleven. Like, yeah. Well, the, this the way this team played this series was the best I've seen them play as a team in a really long time. They've gotten some incredible contributions and performances from Kevin Durant over the last few years. But this was this series was vintage Golden State. It was Steph Curry playing like the MVP again. It was Draymond Green playing like he's played at high levels uh, before. What did you make of this this sweep that the Warriors just put forth and, and what it means for them? I mean, I think I'm what I'm most interested in with the Warriors is sort of like their psyche. And when I've been around them this year and when I've talked to people like Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, different players about this team. Like to me, what what I see is a, a, they're like I I wrote this at one point. Um, it's like they need to hold their hands on a hot stove, like until they see smoke, right? Like to feel alive, to feel something <laughs> because they've you know they've been so challenges have been they've been just not there for them, right? Like they're better than everybody else. They're better than every team they play on every night for the last three years. Right. And you can, you know, you can manufacture stuff along the way. Like I thought to me, that was some of the brilliance in signing a guy like DeMarcus Cousins was just to have the internal challenge of trying to make it work, um, to fight boredom, to fight yourself, to, to not be exactly the same game in and game out because it's a grind when your team doesn't change that much. It is a grind. Um, and I, I think that is, when I look at them, they're like thrill seekers. Um, you know, they, things need to be at stake and they need to have doubters and weird narratives. And then they always seem to, to kind of, to thrive in those situations. And so like, I, they're not better without Kevin Durant. Um, they're a much better team with Kevin Durant because he's Kevin freaking Durant. Um, however, they're more vulnerable without him. And I think that makes them more focused. I think it makes uh, certainly aesthetically a little more pleasing to watch. And you get a better version of them because they're more locked in because they have to be. They, they need the challenges 
without the challenges, they're just kind of, they can kind of sleepwalk through stuff. Yeah. And look, the Blazers were a great story this postseason, but they're not a great team at this point. I mean, they have two great guards who went through a lot. I want to get into them in a second, but they have, they have flaws within, within their roster that, you know, that I thought Golden State was uh, able to exploit, and they are still a bit. Yeah, you said it was a surprising sweep. I, I, surprising I, that I thought five. I mean, I mean the, the Blazers couldn't get one game. I was a little surprised by. Okay. After the way they played all playoffs. I mean, I think I picked the Warriors in five, but like that's essentially picking them in four. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> surprising guess too because they had like double digit leads in like three of these games. That's what I'm saying, right? Is like that's the smoke starts coming off their yeah. fingertips, and it's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's. They're like that guy that you don't know anything about other sports, but like there's a guy, um, I, I think it's in Atlanta called the Freeze. Have you seen this guy? No. He's a sprinter, and they put him in a costume, and they like give guys like, a, and he, they give people insane leads, and he runs them down. You're criticizing my sports knowledge by naming a sprinter. Is that what we're doing? Like, an I thought you're gonna throw like an Atlanta Braves, like guy like, at a, like an amateur sprinter at that too. <laughs> oh, yeah, see, but yeah, it's like, right. but no, it's like they operate so much better chasing and like having something to like kind of again force them to lock in and you know when you watch them play over the course of the season they're like you know the easiest way to judge whether or not you're getting a good warriors performance has turnovers right mm-hmm. and defensive intensity and um they're good enough with kevin durant to win if they have a lot of turnovers they've done it they're good enough to win if their defensive intensity is kind of lacking um it happened in the clippers series mm-hmm. you know um but without him like they get razor sharp um, because they know what's at stake and they know sort of this new set of challenges and they, they feel, I think, more alive. I, I don't know. That's just kind of what I think. Yeah, I no, I, I get that. And I, one thing, it, uh, my takeaway is that even if Durant walks at the end of the season, it doesn't close the championship window for Golden State. They don't they don't go back to being the 73-win team because there sure. were other pieces there. I mean, Harrison Barnes was part of that team. Yep. A younger Andrew Bogut was part of that team. The depth was younger as well. But with a few you know, changes to the bench and some of the development of the young guys, though I thought, you know, McKinney was great in He's game been, four. He was so good in this Looney series, yeah. was really good in game four. I'm a big like, Looney fan. They had, I mean, they, their young guys started to play better uh, in this series. But if, if Durant walks, they still can be okay. But Draymond, to me, was most interesting because I've been kind of on the side of if Durant walks, trading Draymond makes sense because he's valuable and then you don't have to pay him in 2020 because yeah. he's kind of a scary guy to pay in 2020. Sure. Because you see the field goal percentages and the three-point shooting percentages start to go down. And when I talk to scouts about him, it's now it's he used to be a great defensive player at threes and fours. Now it's kind of just fours. He doesn't really defend threes as well as he used to, certainly not fives in playing that small ball lineup as well as he used to. So a guy that was slowly starting to depreciate Maybe moving off him and kind of rebooting the thing around Curry and Thompson made sense, but the way he played in this series with new life, so, and you're reminded that he's under 30 still. Yeah. That maybe you know you bring the gang back for another year and add pieces to that and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think I I would be it would make me very nervous sort of to remove Draymond from that recipe, right? Like obviously Steph is Steph, right? And Clay does what Clay does, and but but it's like in a lot of ways like Draymond's like. I mean, he's their he's the like their emotional identity, right? Like he's their engine. Um, Better or worse, yeah. Mm. You you know, and I think um, there aren't a lot of guys his size who you can put the ball in their hands and like like let him play make. Like he is, in a lot of ways, their de facto point guard in the half court. Um, and I, I think that eight that that's gonna age just fine. Um, 
you know, and weirdly, I think one thing when I've watched teams defend him um, by not guarding him is what what they do is you just get you just it's like a quarterback with time in the pocket is it's almost like it works for he makes such good basketball decisions, such a smart offensive player that you know he'll drive to the elbow and then like wait for a commit and then he'll throw that little lob to either Iguodala or Looney or he'll kick out for a to a shooter. Um, you know he made a you know two huge shots last night. It seems like whenever like he's always up for those too, two big threes. Um, body looks great right now. He's moving great. Um, how sustainable all that is? You're right. At 32, I don't know. Like it would be, I'd be nervous about him at 30 million dollars. But you know, it, it's probably one of those things you do it because you know the first two years of that contract will be worth it, and you'll eat the last two. You know what I mean? You just know they they won't be as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's somebody I think I trust uh, to do the right thing um, more often than not when he has the ball. And the right thing for him is, you know, is sort of turn the engine on their offense and get guys in the right positions and, and get them really easy baskets. Mm-hmm. When he pulled up for three when they were up one and he made it to give them the four-point lead in uh, game four, like as soon as he, he he turned to take the shot, you're like, that's going in. Because yep. this story has to complete with Draymond Green, Jeez. the 20-something percent three-point shooter who, like Myers Leonard, was quite literally standing in the paint defending mm-hmm. beyond the three-point line. Uh, it had to end with him making a three-point shot. Just yeah, had to. no, I mean, and they're so good at the moment. Like that Warriors team, it just feels like, and maybe there's confirmation bias because, you know, they're always in these situations, but it just feels like, if there's a big shot to be made or a, a, a great pass, whether it's Iguodala in the corner or Draymond doing the right thing or Steph doing something crazy, it just always feels like it goes in. Yeah. Um, let me ask you one question about the Blazers who, you know, now that this sort of storybook run is is over, where do they go from here? Because, you know, you start the playoffs and if they had gotten beat badly in the first round again, even without Nurkic in the mix, I think there would have been changes in, in Portland where you would have had a C.J. McCollum potentially moved or something else shaken up. Not Damian Lillard. I think he's always been kind of the cornerstone, but you know, McCollum could have been moved to change the, the culture, not the culture, but the, the entire dynamic out there. Now they get to the conference finals, and it's a great story, but where are they? Because they're probably going to pay Damian Lillard a big dollar number yeah. this year. Maybe it's a Supermax uh, number this season. That's going to tie Lillard and McCollum and Nurkic to, to significant contracts. Not a lot of flexibility because of some of the deals they've given out in years past, like Evan Turner. How do they get better? Because they can't, if they run it back with the same group, it's not going to end well for them because they still need, whether it's another three men who can score or a playmaking four, something has to be added to that mix because I saw an exhausted Damian Lillard in that series. I saw a guy that played 80 games in the regular season and strapped this team on his back for the first and part of the second. Well, and did it with busted ribs. Yeah, too, did right? it with busted ribs. Like, But I, you know, even without the rib injury, he just looked like he, the burden was too much because the Warriors are a great defensive team and they threw walls of defenders at him. Like you have to have that third option that uh, even a Draymond type, somebody that can that can be creative out there to get you over the hump. Look, I, I mean, I I think I am to the point now with Portland where I I think running it back, like you said, it's not going to end well for them. I, I might disagree with that, and I think I think they've sort of at this point have earned. So like that their continuity is good for 50 some wins, you know what I mean, a top 4 seed in the playoffs and then who knows, right? Um like they, their ceiling is 
not that high, but their floor is also not that low. Right. You know, and that's just sort of who Top they are. Top five seed every single year. That's just no kind of who what. they are, right? Like, I mean, I think a lot of people thought, myself included, that maybe they wouldn't be in the playoffs this year, that they didn't do enough to get better. And then Lillard was better and McCollum was better. and Nurkic was better. And Nurkic was great, right? And I think, so I think it's, Nurkic is a guy that I think is a key. You know, who's, there's still some room there. Um, he was terrific this season. I like Zach Collins a lot. I think these playoff minutes were really good for him. Um, Anthony Simons is like a baby. Like you look at that guy, he looks like he's someone's child. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think he is. Yeah, you know, well, like, someone he looks like he's Damon Lillard's like young nephew <laughs> or something. Um, you know, but uh, like, is that gonna to me? That's sort of their pathway. They're not. They're never gonna be a top tier free agency destination. They have to be smart with their money. The Turner deal was a miss, but you know, Aminu was a big hit. Um, uh, Mo Harkless was like, that's a good hit for them. Like they need to be in that sort of market and find those kinds of pieces. The guys that can like Seth Curry ended up being a really nice signing for them. Right. And, and like, they need to keep shopping and getting a little bit better on their, their fringes. And then just, you know, kind of hope that things break their way. But but there's no crime in not being you know and being swept by the Warriors. Like I don't think that should influence any decisions. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I'm just they need to look almost at Milwaukee as a team to pattern itself after. Milwaukee went out this off season knowing exactly what it needed to get better and signed those guys. They signed Brooke Lopez, who was the best bargain of the off season at three something million dollars this year. Yep. Uh, they signed Ilyasova, who's contributed to this group. They knew that the best way for them to maximize Giannis was to surround him with shooters, no matter what position they played, no matter what their background was. And that's what Portland's got to do. Like Whatever the best fit is alongside Lillard and McCollum, they've got to find that guy and hope that that bargain basement cheap signing is something that puts them over the top. Well, like, I mean, they miss Mason Plumlee. Like, that was, like, something – I it, it's weird to, to bring him up, but that was something – Mason, right? Mason, right. Okay is um, when they played the Clippers in the playoffs three years ago or whatever it was when Chris Paul and Blake Griffin both got hurt, um, the way that they blitzed uh, McCollum and Lillard with the ball opened up this like space for a big man to kind of, like you said, take a dribble and make plays. And, and, and Mace probably is a really good passer, um, very underrated passer. And I think, you, you know, that kind of big man, like can it be Zach Collins? Like I, I don't know quite yet. Ceiling uh, for him is pretty high. Like yeah, he's but I, but I by the year. But I like him. He's very, very young. Um, right? I mean, he's twenty years old, twenty one years old, or something like that. He's another guy that looks even younger. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you know he's a guy that can can he be a starting power forward? I don't know. I don't know that they can go that big. I'm not sure. But I, I think he's a part of their calculus moving forwards, and, and that's they're they're going to benefit mostly from internal improvements. I I don't think that they have. Sort of, you know, like I, I mentioned McCollum is like, I don't think they're trading CJ McCollum. I no. don't think they're trading Damian Lillard. I, those guys have never been available. Um, it's, it would be, you would have to really kind of like blow their socks off, I think, to make them even consider a deal. Um, so the improvements are going to be more on the fringes. And I think they've done a pretty good job there, but it's tough. You know, they're in a tough situation. They're in a tough conference. And this just might be as good as they can be. Yeah, I mean the door opens a little bit if Durant leaves, and they can find I a mean, way. A little, a yeah. little, a little, and but again, I think it comes down to finding that guy that 
Because every team's got him. You know, the, the the guy that takes a step forward becomes a player. I mean, Toronto's got Siakam, who took a step forward all year round as a late mm-hmm. first-round pick. I mentioned the Bucks and who they have. We just talked about McKinney and Looney with, with Golden State. It's got to be somebody like that. I think it's Zach Collins. I but mean, no, I'm saying, like, yeah, Zach Collins for sure internally, but I'm saying externally, whether it's a draft pick this year or somebody they find at the back end of free agency that makes sense, like a playmaking four or a shooting three, somebody in that front court that I think adds value to what Lillard and McCollum already bring. Yeah, and look, I mean, and they're going to have an interesting decision with Alfred Camino, um, you know, I, I think, who um, ended up being a great signing for them, um, struggled, you know, in, in this in these like last kind of two rounds in the playoffs. Fell out of the rotation at times a little bit, um, but I think he's a guy they'll bring back. I really do think they'll bring him back. I, I, I don't know that they'll be able to find someone better, you mm-hmm. know. And that's just I think they just are kind of on their path, and they are who they are. And you know, it would be great if they could do these things, but I just don't know if they can. Let me take it back to Durant for a minute, and you know, the Clippers. We're here in Toronto, and we talk a lot about the Clippers, and you know, whether it's. Uh, Kawhi Leonard staying in Toronto yep. are going to the Clippers. The assumption has been that it's a you know Clippers are locked in on Kawhi. Where does Durant fit into the the Clippers you know mindset? We saw after that series end, yeah, like almost as if Lawrence Frank was hanging in the back telling Lou Williams and 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 the rest of the guys there like go up there and praise Kevin Durant, like get out there and <laughs> say he's the best player ever, and like because that's how how effusive in their praise. They were for KD. I mean, where does the, the the Durant fit in the Clippers' plans? Do you think? I mean, I think he's in them. You know, I, I think uh, like everybody else, I think they expect him to sign with the Knicks if he leaves. I mean, I think that's kind of a league-wide held belief mm-hmm. that it's going to probably be there if he's not a Warrior. But um, they had a really good meeting with him um, in the Hamptons last time he was a free agent. Uh, you know they didn't have the cap space to sign him then they would have they asked him to take a pay cut and they knew he wasn't going to sign but they pitched him on sort of a Chris Paul Blake Griffin DeAndre Jordan super team you know a big four um and obviously that didn't work and you know here we are now um but I think he likes Steve Ballmer a lot I think the Clippers have you know put sort of their best argument out there forwards on the court um they've done it in terms of you know, they, they also benefit from good geography, and I think you know there's a stability in ownership and a stability on the bench that makes them an appealing option. Probably third place for Kevin Durant. Um, you know, but if things, who knows? Like things could change quickly in free agency. I mean, I did. They, they, I think Kawhi Leonard feels like a much more um, logical kind of landing place for them. That seems that's who they've been target. That's they've been targeting him all season. You know, you come to Toronto in the regular season, you see Clippers executives here at game scouting. Raptors have noticed that. They've, 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 they've taken no- notice. They've noticed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, but I like I wrote after game three, like it's all worth it, right? It's worth putting yourself in that position if you're the Raptors because how many players in the league can, can chest up to Giannis Antetokounmpo, mm-hmm. right? Like how many guys can do that? Like, that was a great roll of dice. You, you know, and... Um, and if he signs with the Clippers, I think the Raptors will feel like, you know, we th- they'll be hurt, I'm sure, but they'll understand and they'll feel like they kind of put their best offer on the table too. That's what I think is so interesting about Kawhi's free agency is that um, it'll be a really interesting insight into somebody who we know very little about in terms of what he values and what he wants because both both pitches are so obvious, right? Like the Raptors pitch is you care about your health and – so we bit the bullet and we took sort of the load management jokes and you know what I mean the snickers from the league and from 
players and all this other stuff and from the media. Um, but when the playoffs rolled around and you felt as good as you felt all year, like that was because of this, right? Mm -hmm. Like we trusted you and, and hopefully you trusted us and you're playing your best basketball when it matters most. This is what you care about. And we got you here and we'll do it again next year. If that's what it takes. Um, that's, you know, in addition to obviously it's a great city. You've had some really good moments here. You've got a great young player in Pascal Siakam, like all this different stuff. The Clippers pitch is you want to live in California. You want to live in, in Southern California. It's we're a way better place to play than the Lakers. We don't have LeBron James. We don't, you don't have to deal with any of that. We're a little bit more than the shadows, but you still get all the perks of being in Southern California. And by the way, we can either pair you with, you know, young players, like a nice mix of young and old players, or we can bundle those guys. And if you want us to make an AD run, we, we can be in that conversation. If you want us to be in the Brad Beal business, we can be in that conversation too. Um, you want us to go try to sign Kevin Durant as well? Like we're there. Um, you know what I mean? They have all the sort of different pathways to kind of have the team fit Kawhi as best as Kawhi and the Clippers think, you know I mean? And, and you're going to, you're going to be in a room with Steve Ballmer, Doc Rivers and Jerry West. You know They're going to be great in the room. Like, yeah. Like have a that's, lot of, of, of in, in Yeah. In addition to a, just a, like a, a very well-paid depth of front office people who understand things like the numbers, who understand coaching, who understand scouting, um, who understand player personnel. I mean, like they, like it's, it's like a murderer's row front office. And, and I think, you know, quite, I don't know if it, it made as much national news, but locally people noticed that, you know, when Michael Winger had a chance to go to Minnesota, they retained him. When mm -hmm. Trent Redden had a chance to go work for, for Griff in new Orleans again, they retained him. Mm -hmm. Um, when Jerry West's contract came up, they retained him. Like they are all very committed to what they're building. And I think if, I think that comes through to players, right? Like if, if you look at this and see that these people all turn down promotions to, to stay and, and be a part of this, you know, why, why wouldn't I? I mean, I think there's a confidence in sort of what's to come for the Clippers. And whether it's Kawhi Leonard or not, I, I think they've got a lot of options over these next two, three seasons. Um, and they can build a lot of ways. It's interesting you say that it will give us insight into Kawhi because you're right. Because I mean, God, I've done multiple profiles on him for SI, and I don't know anything about him. Like, yeah. I, like he's just he's a rock, and you could talk to as many people around him as you want. You don't really know what he values and what matters most. To I mean, him. I think health, winning, and basketball. Yeah. And if that's the and, case, then and and, and, and I Toronto's think, got and a no, good and, chance. And I mean, and I think like general generalized happiness, like mm -hmm. in terms of like where you live and that's the and, wild like, card though yeah. what is and like these i think these guys too what's interesting about Kawhi and Durant and, and kd and their free agencies is that like the pressure to go and win is sort of gone right like these are guys that are both been finals mvps um like the kd thing is a little interesting just because he seems to care about his like quote-unquote legacy and and kind of the the asterisk people have put on you know and i think unfairly on these last kind of two titles um, they don't win without Kevin Durant the last couple of years. No, I mean, he's no, he's the most important. The shots he made were yeah, ridiculous. He's the most important thing that they have. Um, you know, in, in those big moments, it's like, it's him. Um, but, like, I, I, I think that's why they can kind of take sort of more the LeBron style approach where it's like quality of life matters. Um, you know, I, I, they don't have to, 
you know, I, Philly's got a really nice team, and so that's where I'm going to go because I have got a really good chance to win in the Eastern Conference. I, I, like, I don't think that's in the calculus necessarily. I think it's, you know, the basketball stuff matters, but maybe not as much as other stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, let me finish with uh, a little bit of coaching news. The Timberwolves, uh, they have elected to retain Ryan Saunders. Very excited about this. I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big Ryan Saunders guy. Uh, Ryan Saunders, 33 years old was the interim coach last year taking yeah. over for Tom Thibodeau under impossible circumstances because of the Jimmy Butler stuff and a team that went from believing it could compete for a top four seed to being out of the playoff mix. Uh, they elect to keep Saunders on board. Uh, they hired a new team president. They went through uh, a process of a coaching search involving, among others, Jawan Howard, Chris Finch, a handful of guys, but they settled on Ryan Saunders, uh, what do you make of the decision by Minnesota? I'll tell you around? why I'm happy about Ryan Saunders, first of all, and it's a reason you might not expect. What I like what I like about Ryan Saunders is when I see him, I see Sam Amick, but if he like had it together. <laughs> right? Wow. Right? Okay. Like like if like Sam took better care of himself, he would be Ryan Saunders. <laughs> Um, that was a savage Sam Amick burn right there. But I mean, tell me I'm tell me I'm wrong. Uh I can see some of it. I mean, I think Ryan's like what, maybe he's much what, younger, ten years younger than he's Sam. Much younger, probably. Yeah, I mean, but it's that. like it's like it's like an optimized Sam Amick. Um, <laughs> no, That's um, insane. look, I think I think it's a great story for a lot of reasons. I mean, there's the emotional part of it, right? Too, which like I would want nothing more for someone to succeed there, where his father was such a big part of basketball um, in that city, mm-hmm. um, and and people caring about it there. Um, but I also think he's a good young coach, and I think. They're in a situation where they can afford to have a young coach. I mean, their clock's ticking a little bit, um, you know, uh, but I think they have a, a they have a superstar in Carl Anthony Towns. They have an identity, and those two guys can kind of work together and sort of forge the right sort of relationship moving forwards. And and you know, it'll be on Garrison Rosas and and other people to kind of make the right decisions to get the right players around them. Andrew Wiggins is a little bit of an albatross and. And, you know, maybe they I, – I wouldn't be stunned if they get off that deal. Um, that feels like something that they can – I think they can do. Um, but, y- you know, I, I, I like it. I, I think he's familiar with the players that they have there. He's got good relationships. They Players went to bat for him. Um, in that kind of a market on that kind of a younger team, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's not – I'm sure there'll be plenty of shallow social media posts about like, look, you're hiring Flip's son. It's for the, the narrative and not, you know, the real building of a basketball team. And there's no question that Ryan's going to have to answer some questions early on about his coaching. Um, I'd be very to see what kind of staff he brings in yeah. as the full-time coach. You're probably going to have to find uh, an experienced hand, uh, Ron Adams type, if you will. Tom Thibodeau. I don't think Tibbs is coming back as an assistant. <laughs> Tibbs, my understanding with Tibbs is that he's got three years left on his contract at big money. Yeah, I don't he, think he's coming back for anything I, anytime I, soon. I, I tend to agree. Um, he likes. I mean, he's a guy who still loves basketball, and he'll be around. I think, like, I would expect to see him occasionally around the Clippers. Yeah. Um, you know, occasionally around some of the other the other staffs and people he knows and likes around the league he was doing that last year yeah I mean, he was you know, in boston for a long time and like, I, yeah i mean that i think is something you'll continue to see for him yeah while, but while but when it cashes those checks but when it comes to to ryan like you know it wouldn't surprise me to see chris finch considered for an assistant coaching mm-hmm. slot slot there um 
he's got to clean up the defense. I think someone like Mike Longombardi, who was in Cleveland uh, when they got when they were successful over the years, he's a candidate to be a defensive coordinator yeah. uh, with that group. But this guy's an excellent coach, and I don't sit here saying that. I mean, I don't know what I'm seeing half the time when I'm looking at coaches sure. and what it means. What I do know is that if the Timberwolves went in a different direction, there were at least three teams, good teams, with quality organizations that were ready and able to fight over Ryan Saunders to be an assistant coach on their staffs, a top assistant coach on their staffs. He is viewed as legit across the league yep. by people you want saying that he is legit. And look, it's not everything, but he has complete buy-in from the guys he needs to have. Like, he's Carl Anthony Towns has his back. Carl Anthony Towns was both publicly and privately extremely supportive of Ryan Saunders. Uh, the, the locker room up and down was into him. I, I was hearing, I was told that sometime this week, they're going to have as many as 11 guys in Minnesota to start doing off-season workouts. That's yeah. the kind of buy-in that he's getting. And again, that's not everything. And if Ryan comes out and makes a lot of rookie mistakes and it doesn't work in year one, you're going to have to reevaluate. But, all like, that. and don't you feel like, though, too, like, I mean, he had, what, three months to kind of, like, shake some of that off? Yeah. You know, too? And, and I think, uh, I think he'll be a better coach this year. Um, he'll have film on himself, mm -hmm. you know, to, to study and get better at. Um, I like the hire. I thought it made the most sense. I agree. I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's I, I'm generally in favor of continuity when you can when you can keep it. I'm in favor of continuity, and I'm also in favor of rolling the dice a little bit on guys. I mean, you think about it. We just talked about Frank Vogel. Where would Frank Vogel be if the Pacers didn't elevate him and then retain him after he had that run mm -hmm. with the team afterwards? Frank Vogel was a big reason that that team went to back-to-back -back conference finals Absolutely. and was built from the ground up. I mean, there's examples like that all over the place. I mean, Eric Spolster was groomed under Pat Riley. I like young guys who have been basketball lifers who have had to earn their keep. Ryan Saunders wasn't handed anything. Like, he was Correct. an assistant coach on his dad's staff for sure. But if it wasn't his dad or Minnesota hiring He'd him, other else. teams would have. He'd have been somewhere else. Other teams would have. So I'm, I'm yeah. a... I'm a believer in in that high right there. I'm interested so, to see how it works. Can we do a spoiler free Game of Thrones chat? Uh yes. All right. Let's. Um, did you did you enjoy the ending? Uh, parts of it. I enjoyed parts of the ending. It's um, I've I've found this this last season and a half to be generally disappointing. I've I would put it this way: since they went off the source material, that's where I'm at. Disappointing. Yeah. And I haven't read the books or anything like that, but um, no, yeah, it was um, it was a fun show. It was always a fun show. It was always more of a fun show than it was a good show. And um, I say that in the snobbiest way possible. Who are you texting? Uh, I'm texting my editor over at SI, who was texting oh, nice. me, and then Facetime called me or something. Facetime, John. Huh? It's weird. It's like the phone call isn't good enough. They gotta look at shout you. out. Shout out Matt Dollinger for the Facetime in the middle of this podcast. I accidentally Facetimed someone the other day. It's um, never a good thing. No. I can tell. You, I, I have. I've accidentally FaceTimed people. I should not be accidentally FaceTiming. One hundred percent. Name a name. No, I won't do that. Like because then I, then this person FaceTimed me back a couple of times and I had to block them from the thing because I didn't want them to know it was me. They don't have my number. It was somebody. I'm not getting into this. This is a, oh, this is a dumb. It's somebody I should not have been FaceTiming. A, a male somebody that I should not have been been FaceTiming. Excellent. Um, anyway, off the books. Uh, I thought it I wasn't as cutthroat. It wasn't as cutthroat as it, it wasn't. It was more predictable. And look, they should have extended this to two seasons. One whole season should have been about the battle with the dead. That a whole season where you explain the Night King and you explain the entire dynamic around it should have been about that. And then you do another season 
where it's just about winning back King's Landing. Everything seemed like it was rushed. Even, even uh, uh, spoiler, Daenerys' sort of heel turn, not really a spoiler because we saw her do it the penultimate episode, but even her turn into a, 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 the Mad Queen felt rushed. It just felt like they're moving it all along. Um, I will be happy. I, I enjoyed the show. It was, it was a fun, what, eight years or something like that? Yeah. Nine, nine years maybe? Um, that seemed long. Was it eight years? I think it was ten total. It was like eight. It started ten years ago. Wow. Okay. Because they they stretched out some. They went a whole uh, year without. Okay. Having so yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun show to have in my life for ten years. I will be happy to have it gone though too. I will be happy to have the like use used as like a tired uh, cliche like example for everything. Like I I will be glad to hear um, that it's all over. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff. I I won't have to say draconius or. I won't have to like, and that's another show too. I've never spent Dracarys. I was gonna say Draconius is. I think is Draconian with a twist. Yeah, no, um, that's my uh, my band name is Draconius. I have a goth a goth band. No, um, that the other thing I would say about that show is for a show that I spent ten years watching, I could probably name less than fifteen characters by name. I could probably do fifteen. Probably. I mean, do you want to do 15? Right Not now? really. I think that's bad, bad audio for people that are listening right now. <laughs> uh, I would say this, though. Like, I think that... John, uh, one. I, well, no, I think that... I don't think it's over. I think that it left open the door, and this isn't too big a spoiler. Movie? No, no, for like this whole thing to come back down the line. Like, let's say, here's, here's my... But they're going to do spinoffs, right? No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about spinoffs or prequels or anything like that. I'm talking about, like, Game of Thrones coming back in five years. Like, if, for example, if, say, HBO is huh. struggling to come up with uh, with new concepts, and let's say that these actors, that their careers don't take off in the way they want to. We think, I mean, Sophie Turner's probably going to be a star, and she's never coming back to this. But, I mean, what, what is Maisie Williams going to be in down the line? Kit Harrington's had some... Bombs. I mean, what was uh, uh, uh what was the movie with uh? How dare you? If you say Seven Days in Hell, I'll no, so not bad. Seven Days in Hell, but when the the volcano erupted, uh, I forget the name of the movie. Dr- Draconius. No, <laughs> Draconius. I forget. I forget. I'll find out. Vol- no, volcano. Vol- oh, it was the old. It was, it was, uh, old, it was old. Pompeii. Pompeii. Yes, that Vol- was Volcanius. <laughs> Pompeii was terrible. Uh, I think Keith Harrington admitted it was terrible. But I think all he those, is amazing in Seven Days in Hell. I, I didn't see that, so I'll have to. He, that's See, this is your HBO. This is uh, I didn't see it. It's the the Andy Samberg mockumentary about the world's longest uh, tennis match. I'll have to go back and watch that. Then. Oh, All right. it's I'll, so dirty. It's I'll, so funny. I'll check that out. But but not to spoil it too much. But there's a scene at the end of this where uh, Tyrion says to Jon Snow, "Ask me in ten years." So like, let's just say five years from now. They say, all right, we need to bring this back. Our actors aren't too expensive to bring back. We don't have to worry about the dragons because the dragon's probably dead out there somewhere. Sure. Um, let's say they bring it. They, they're like, oh, let's do it all over again. I think that Game almost of Thrones, never works, though. It could work with Game of Thrones. It could. If like, they bring the same. Like Arrested act- Development was like one of my favorite shows. Right. right. And then it goes away for six years and it comes back and like, eh. But the way they set it up with like everybody kind of dispersing, uh, you. All right, I'll watch. But you, you can see. I'm driving how, to Buffalo right now. Driving to <laughs> sit to Starbucks in Buffalo. <laughs> All uh, right. All right, plug, Dan. plug the LA Times. We've done a lot of work this year. A lot yes, of NBA people. LA Times. You guys have done an excellent job all year long. I thought uh, that Brad Turner and Tiny Ganguly had a good piece today up on the background mm-hmm. of on the cover of what of goes on. on. You guys Front done, center. got an excellent job with all the NBA coverage there. Lakers got to be. I, I said this to Tanya out the combine. I'm like. 
you know, it's it's got to be maddening at times, but it's it's a pretty interesting beat to cover. Like it's team content. Like, That's always I'm um, like, what, who's your what's your favorite thing that can? What's your favorite team? Team content. Team content. Yes, and like we'll their provide. team content. For well, there sure. was like a, a time where you know you looked around the league, and if you were looking at just like content that, that nationally everybody wanted to consume, it was Warriors, Lakers, and Celtics for a while. Like mm-hmm. those three teams, because of both their talent and their drama, like that were must read about almost every single time you put something out yep. there from. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, our ownership is really invested in our NBA coverage. I know I've spent a ton of money this year traveling all mm-hmm. over the place. And, um, you know, we've, we've had people at um, every game of at least one series um, in each round of this place. And we've had everybody, you know, both conference finals, I'll be at the finals. We might have somebody else at the finals. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's uh yeah it's been fun. I think the LA Times in, in just in sports in general. Like I know for boxing they're invested in. I see yep. Lance Pugmire everywhere. I see we had special we had a special Cinco de Mayo section. Twelve pages, yeah, before the Canelo fight or something in like Spanish that. and English. It's well, you got to serve the market. And, I know. in every way. Yeah, check uh, us out. Good subscribe. Stuff. <laughs> I Give us your money. Appreciate you joining right. me here on the podcast. Uh, thanks, we, man. I'm gonna go put on my robe. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.